our Father in heaven. So, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know uh, all your stories. I don't know where um, you guys uh, grew up or how you've grown uh, up in the church or not grown up in the church. But for most of us, the Lord's Prayer, which begins with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, like, we're going to be familiar with this. We recite this as a congregation. It'll be part of our communion service as we have that a little bit later today. It's, it's a part of the fabric of, of who we are as a congregation. But when we look at this, this prayer, one has to ask the question, what is it? And why was it given to us the way that it was? When we think about the Lord's Prayer, so it's, it's a prayer that was given to us, modeled by Jesus himself, when we find it taught in scriptures, we see it in Matthew and in Luke. And, and as, as he teaches, he teaches on the idea of prayer. He models with the Lord's prayer. And so he's doing both of it for us as Jesus is giving this to us. And so do we simply say the Lord's prayer because it's kind of the Jesus thing to do? Like that's the right response. That's what we're supposed to say. Therefore, we say it. Is the Lord's Prayer a magical mix of words that as we say it, we unlock the door of heaven and we actually have access? Like, it takes that to get there. Like, what is this thing? What we're going to do over these next several weeks is kind of unpack the Lord's Prayer. It's short. It's not really all that long. For those who have it memorized, you know that it doesn't take long to pray through the prayer. But what's interesting is in this prayer, we see all of this happening. Jesus gives us seven different dimensions by which we can understand uh, our lives and how we pray uh, through our lives and the lives of those around us. And so we pray for his forgiveness. We pray for protection. We pray for his kingdom. We pray for guidance. All these different parts are all contained in this Lord's Prayer. And each one of these helping us to understand us a little bit more, to have more balanced, a deeper prayer life. We want to look and see uh, the idea of being balanced because if you're like me, you look at this list and you say, there's probably two or three of those that we have a tendency to camp on most. I said this in an email that I sent out a couple, uh, couple weeks ago to our, to our church, but for me, I'm kind of a provision protection guy. I, I find myself sliding back into the things that I need from the Lord. So I ask for his provision. And then because of my family and because of others that are around, like I pray for protection. So those are kind of the lanes that I have a tendency to, to camp a little bit longer in. But there's five others up there. So how do we have a more balanced prayer life? But also a deeper prayer life. That as we pray all of these different elements, all of these different dimensions, and, and think about life and think about ours and the lives of others in these, in these lenses of these seven, we grow deeper. Tim Keller uh, has said that prayer is less, is, it's not about getting things from God, but rather getting more of God. When we pray, when we say the words that we say to God, we are declaring them to be true, and in declaring them to be true, it is deepening our own faith. So when we say the words, when we begin to pray through these different petitions, these different requests, but these different petitions, we deepen our own faith as we take the parts and declare things to be true to God that are true. 
And so as we go through the Lord's Prayer, we're gonna, we really want to see this as an opportunity for all of us to take our prayer life and to have a more balanced life in prayer, but also a deeper life in prayer. So we're going to take the next several weeks, next seven weeks after this today now, and, and go through these different sections. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read it. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to uh, Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read 5 through 15. So again, this is Sermon on the Mount stuff. This is Jesus doing an ex- a long extended teaching and preaching. And so as he's doing this, he finds a spot in the middle, and he discusses and, and teaches on prayer. You'll see the model that he's done before. He, he teaches on it. Then he gives us a model of what this could look like and should look like. And then in this one, he gives a little more teaching at the end as well. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. We'll read it here together. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And here's the modeling coming from Jesus. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. How would be your name? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people When they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Our Father. I guess we begin, it would be really good to stop and pause for this idea of like, what is prayer? At its core, what is prayer? See, Christians are not the only ones who pray. We don't have the corner of the market on prayer. Like, this is our thing and everybody stole it from us. This is, prayer is something that's been found in, 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 in mankind forever. It's been there. And what is at the core of prayer? The core of it and what it really is, is going to be humans speaking to their deity. So you can look across religions. You can look at people who are completely non-religious, And they may have a moment in their life where they find themselves as the human calling out to a deity, to their deity, whatever it is like. But it's it's this idea of the mortal speaking to someone who is immortal. And usually when you see this around the world and you see it in other settings, what the prayer is, this, this calling out to the deity, is designed to get the deity's attention. In some way, whether it be the right words spoken in the right way, whether, whether it be the repetitiveness of it. Jesus talked about that. Don't keep babbling like the pagans. It's a repetitive nature where finally the deity goes, fine, what do you want? Like just finally awakens to it and notices that some way, somehow, it is, it is trying to get the attention of the deity. Why? Because you have a need. You have a request. You've got something that you're bringing. And so you need the deity to notice and to pay attention. 
to your request. And so what we see is this idea again of, of the human being calling out to their deity. But what Jesus does when he tells us and he teaches us how to pray, he says there's way more than that. This isn't humans speaking to a deity. He uses the phrase, our Father. And what we see him doing is helping us understand that we don't just simply cry out or call out to a deity. But rather, we are calling out and crying out to a God in which we have a relationship with. One in which we have that relationship, but more than just a relationship with the deity, we're family with the deity. Like, this is our family. It's one thing to be in a relationship. It's, it's, another thing, it's one thing to remember that friend from high school that you haven't seen in a while, the acquaintance or even the good friend that you have. Jesus calls us his friends in John 15, but more than friends, we're family. But more than just family, with this deity, family with God. He is our Father. We are the children, and He is the Father. In John chapter 1, he, John helps us understand what this looks like as he, as he talks about it in, in verse 12. He says this, Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, as Jesus receiving Him, believing in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. That by belief and receiving of him, we're brought into the family and we become children in the family. Paul goes on to say this in Romans. He says that the spirit that we receive brought about our adoption to sonship. Beautiful illustration, a beautiful visual for us. Someone who is outside of the family and is chosen and brought into the family and declared to be a part of the family, given all the rights and all the, the relationship status of family, that we are adopted in to the family of God, and that by Him we cry, this Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. He's Father, we are child. This shows up all over Scripture. This is one of the ways that God helps us understand who He is. And when I say all over, I mean all over. Grab your cell phone, snap a picture of this if you're looking for a Bible study that will last you approximately 119 days. Because there's approximately 119 texts up there in which God either describes Himself as a father or he describes his people as children, or he uses the father-child relationship to help us understand who he is and who we are. It's all over the scriptures. And it's not just a New Testament thing. The ones at the top, the ones that are the, the lighter blue color, that's the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's all over the scriptures. And this is not a complete list. And I know that because as I was typing these out, yes, as I was typing these out, I also noticed like four or five that I knew of that were not on the list. So I added them. There's some missing. This is all over the scriptures telling us, listen, father and child, 
This is the way in which the relationship is defined. That is he God? Yes, but we are child and he is father. I love this quote that I got from from Tim Keller. And it said this, that the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And we have that access. As I was building this PowerPoint, uh, it was about 11.30 at night as I was finishing this exact slide and I was downstairs and I heard from upstairs, Dad! Daddy! I went up to my son's room. What do you think he wanted? Drink of water. The exact moment I put that image on that slide. And what do you think I got for him? glass of water. It's right. A glass of water. The one who dares to wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And that's the access you have. Our Father. Jesus goes on to define that fatherhood just a little bit more, and he says this, our Father in heaven. Look around the room, and we look at the, 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 just the sheer number of people that are in this room. Every single one of us are going to have a different relationship with that word Father. And it's mostly going to be built, if not entirely built, upon the relationship that we have with our earthly Father. And every one of them are going to be different. I have a great relationship with my dad. Love my dad. He loves me. Like, he's been there. He's provided for me. Like, is he perfect? Nope. But great relationship with my dad. But all of us have a different relationship with father. For some, when I say father, I, you hear distant. You hear distracted. You hear too busy for me. You hear absence, maybe due to death or divorce. For some, when I, when I say, Father, what do you think of? And your response to me is, yeah, but Doug, you don't know what he said. You don't know what he did. When you say, Father, I think of hurt. Or maybe dad was there, dad was involved, but dad set that bar so high that there was no way you were ever going to reach it no matter how much you tried and you tried and you tried and you tried, but you were never going to achieve the level that your dad expected of you. You longed to hear the words, I love you. You long to hear the words, I'm proud of you. Every single one of us having a different understanding of what it means to hear the word Father. Pastor, author, and speaker Louis Giglio gave this great quote to help us understand a little bit more of Father. He says this, that God is not the reflection of your earthly dad. He is the 
perfection of your earthly dad. God is not a bigger version of what you know of as father because of your earthly dad. He is the perfection. He is the perfect version of an earthly dad. I have a great relationship with my dad. One in which when I call, he answers the phone. When I need something, he's there for me. But I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want a God that's just a bigger version of my dad. I don't. I want a God who's the perfect version of my earthly dad. And if you don't have that relationship with the earthly father, if your relationship is one that is compromised, it's challenged. And so to hear that God as father just rubs you the wrong way, I'm willing to bet that you have imagined what it would be like to have a father that loved you. That you have imagined what it's like to have a father that would come and sit on your bed, a father that would ask you about your day, a father that would be there and would give and would protect and love you. If you have imagined that, you have just begun to think and to experience what it's like to have the perfect father. Your imagination of that earthly dad is the gateway in which you can use to understand who God the Father really is. You dive into those 119 verses and you do your study because the essence of fatherhood is not here. The essence of fatherhood is there. The fact that I even look like a dad, remotely like a dad, is because it's an extension of the grace of God himself into my life that I can even pretend to be somewhat of a decent-ish father. So the idea of fatherhood doesn't come from how I treat my kids and my relationship with my kids. The essence of fatherhood comes from him and the way he treats you and me. That's where the essence of fatherhood is. It's not in us, and it's not in the dads around you. It's in him. And so we pray, our Father in heaven, the Father who is the perfect Father, the Father who loves, the Father who protects, the Father who guides, the Father who provides. Our Father in heaven. Congratulations, we've made it through the introduction. <laughs> but really, that's the truth. Like, when we look at the rest of that list that we had up there, and we think about the rest of the Lord's Prayer, from here on out in the Lord's Prayer, we're going to make petitions, we're going to make requests of God, we're going to ask things of Him. The Our Father in Heaven is the introduction to it all, but it lays the, plat, lays the foundation, it lays that, that place in which we begin so that when we make requests about guidance and we make requests about protection, we make requests about all these things, what we are doing is we are not talking to a distant deity hoping that he hears us, hoping that he understands. We're talking to our perfect Father. That's who we make the requests of. That's who we're coming to our perfect Father. So the first request that we're just going to touch on briefly is holy 
be your name. Hallowed be your name. Now we have to look at this word hallowed. It's not Halloween. Right? Like, what is this word? Willing to bet that most of us have not used this word at least twice in the last five days. What does hallowed mean? It means holy. It means set apart consecrated to be to be made holy so we pray god holy be your name and we pray in this petition as we pray that god's name would be made holy in us listen god's name's already holy dan talked about that like his name is the name above all names it's not like when we pray this all of a sudden now god's name becomes holy His name is already holy. So we're not praying, holy be your name, and now magically becomes holy. His name is already holy. We're praying, God, may your name be holy in me. May I understand your holiness. May I come to a a deeper, richer gripping of your holiness, of who you are as the Holy Father. May it be so. May your name be made holy in me. And may your name be made holy through me. When I was in high school, um, uh, one of the jobs that I had in, in high school, I drove uh, the company pickup, one of the company pickup trucks. And so I was 16. I was the gopher, right? Go for this, go for that. I was that guy. And so as I would, as a, before, the very first time I drove the pickup, we went out to the parking lot uh, with the owner of the company. He had the keys in his, in his hands, and we walked up to the truck, and, and he, he looked at the side of the pickup, and he asked me a question. He said, what's the name that's written on the side of that pickup? I told him the name of the business. And he told me, he said, who owns that business? You do? He said, that's right. He said, every time you drive this pickup, you're representing my business, you're representing me, and you're representing my name. Every stoplight you come to, every lane you merge through, every time you use and don't use a blinker, you are representing me and my name. Sound good? Yes, sir. (laughs) Toss me the keys to the pickup. You are representing me and my name name. Here's the deal. God's name is holy. We're not making it holy, but we pray that as as the holiness of God and the holiness of his name becomes more known to me, that that same holiness will be made known through me. That as I live my life, others would know the holiness of the name of God. That in everything that I say, in everything that I do, it would bring honor, praise, and glory to his name, not shame and disgrace because of how I, as a child of the Father, have chosen to behave. So like it or not, if we are claiming Jesus Christ, we're driving around with a name on us. After all, we took the family name. We are children. He's the father. We're a part of the family. We have that name on us. And every time we have a conversation, every single text message we send, every single social media post we make, we represent 
our Father and His name. We pray in this petition as we come before our Heavenly Father, God, may Your name be made holy in and through me. You sure you want to pray that one? Hallowed be your name. Let's remember this. When we pray these petitions, any of them, as we go through the entire list, what we are praying is praying for God's help to do the thing that the petition is calling So in this case, we're praying for God's help to live a life in such a way that his holiness is reflected to those around me. God, would you help me to do these things? Help me to say the things that I need to say that bring honor and glory and not shame and disgrace. God, help me with that. But it's also the opportunity when we pray that, that the Holy Spirit will lift in us, will make us aware of those moments in which we have failed to live out that petition where we have said things and we have done things that have not brought honor and glory to our Father's name. And we have an opportunity to repent of those, confess those, and receive forgiveness. You remember, how did this whole prayer start? Our Father, right? So we are in the family. You're already there. You keeping his name holy is not going to get you into the family. You're in the family. And here's the other thing. Dad doesn't kick you out of the family for messing up on this one. That's not how the perfect father responds. It might be how your earthly father would have responded, but it's not the way the heavenly father responds. Don't believe me? Look at the list. That's how we know how, who he is and how he responds to us. When we come to him, when we have failed to honor his name, When we ask for the forgiveness, we already know how he's going to respond. He will respond with forgiveness approximately 100% of the time. And by approximately, I mean about 100% of the time. That's how he responds. So we pray, our Father in heaven, Holy be your name. So let's pray. Our Father, Almighty Father, Lord God, you are my Father. I am your child. God, I can stand here today and declare that to be true because you have declared it to be true. I'm your kid. I'm your son. We are your sons and daughters. Lord God, may we pause long enough to understand and live in the reality that we are your kid. And God, you are the Father in heaven. You are the perfect Father. Lord God, you are everything that my soul longs for.
what my soul needs in a father. God, you are perfect in love. Lord, you are perfect in protection. God, you are perfect in care. God, you are perfect in your provision. You are the Father in heaven. And God, you know where we struggle with that one. Lord, every single one of us struggling just a little bit differently because we have the view of you because of what we've experienced around us. Holy Spirit, in all of the gaps, in all the voids between the earthly Father and the heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, stand in the gap and pull us closer to the heavenly Father. That, God, we may know the perfect love of the perfect Father. God, holy be your name. God, you are holy, set apart, perfect. God, as your child, would you help me to grow in that? May I long and search and yearn more to know your holiness. To know who I am next to the almighty holy God, but who I am next to the almighty holy Father. God, you know where I have struggled in living out your holiness and representing and bearing your name. God, you know where I've struggled in that and you know where every single one of us have struggled in that. You know what areas of our life and you know the specifics of our life. God, I first ask for forgiveness. God, give us a heart that repents. Give us a heart that confesses those moments of weakness in which honor, glory, and praise are not due your name, but rather shame and disgrace because I have failed to live as a child in a way that brings you glory. God, forgive me in those moments. And Holy Spirit, would you empower me? Would you remind me? Would you just... Prick me just enough, God, to realize and to recognize that I represent you. And Holy Spirit, would you help me to represent you well? Our Father in heaven, holy be your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So this uh, this morning, we have the privilege of coming to receive the holy body and blood of our Lord Jesus. He's given it to us, a tangible way for us to receive his grace. He has an invitation for all of us. Today, if you are here as someone who understands their need for a savior, you understand that shortcoming, you understand that you are not going to save yourself and that someone needs to save you and that savior is Jesus Christ. And this table, this stuff today is for you. He gives us this invitation. First in Matthew, he says this, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then in John chapter 3, we're reminded again of why Jesus came. He said, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And then this promise from 1 John chapter 1, it's the same promise that we just prayed. It's the same promise I'm going to ask you to pray in the quietness of your own heart, whether the issue of our own struggle and sin today is going to be one of bringing the name of God in a holy way to our world around us or if there's something else. But listen to this promise. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just. and He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I invite you just to take a few, few moments in the quietness of our own hearts to confess. Remember this about confession. If there's something in your heart that you feel you need to confess, it's there because God is reminding you of it. So really your confession is nothing more than agreeing with what God has already told you to be true. You're not going to surprise him with your confession. He's not going to go, oh, I had no idea. He knows already you're simply agreeing with what the Spirit is saying into your heart. So take a few moments in the quietness, confess, and receive the promise of the forgiveness of sins. Take a moment. God, our creator and our redeemer. That we poor sinners confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. That God, we have sinned against you in what we think, what we say, and what we do. The, the things that we've done, but God, even the things that we've left undone. So we flee for refuge in your infinite mercy. And ask that you, for the sake of Christ, would forgive us for all of our sins. And that by your Holy Spirit, you would increase in us a true knowledge of your will. That by your grace, we may walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. I'd like you to stand as we together confess the Christian faith. Confess the triune God in the words of the Apostles' Creed. Let's confess together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting.